Well, I bless you all in the name of the Lord, and we're so glad to be here to share what God's done in my life. And I want to thank Pastor Otis, and I want to thank the Calvary Church for their warm welcome and for the blessings that they are in the community as well as for us. I want to also thank the praise team. They're, they're wonderful, aren't they? As you were worshiping, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't sing. I'm not a singer. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. But I can enjoy what God is doing in praise and worship because for some reason, that's when the Lord speaks to me in praise and worship. So I want to thank the praise team personally for leading us behind the veil to be in the very presence of God. Because in the presence of God is where healing occurs and salvation occurs and deliverance occurs. And we need to be in the presence of God because that is where things change and the supernatural meshes with the natural and things start changing. In his presence. Sometime we'll have to speak about the presence of God. But I want to share this testimony of what God's done in my life. And I know many of you have come and you got ailments, you're sick. Many of them are perhaps facing cancer or devastating news in your life. I know when I first got the news, that night we had a church service. And nobody knew that I'd been diagnosed with cancer. Nobody knew what I was facing, but the Lord did. And there was a word that came forth. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that word wait in Hebrew, it means not just sit around. It means to wrap. They that wrap themselves in the word of God. They that wrap themselves are encouraged. But you know, I know many of you have problems and situations, but I'm here to encourage you because it says in Revelations 12 and 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they loved not their own lives unto the death. So whatever you're facing tonight, there is a sacrifice that's been offered. There is blood that's been shed. And because of that blood of Jesus Christ, We can be saved, we can be healed, we can be restored, we can be redeemed, we can go forward knowing that God is with us. You know, I think about Joshua as he stood there on the banks of the flooded Jordan River after 40 years in the desert leading a group of slaves to become the people of God. He stood there and he looked across the flooded river. It was an impossible feat. Moses had died. Moses had been received and taken up to the Lord. His mentor for 40 years had millions of people looking at him. And right over there is the promises. But there was a flooded Jordan River there on the plain of Jericho. And not only was there water everywhere, there was mud everywhere. And how were they going to get from there to there? But the Lord spoke to Joshua in Joshua 1 and 9. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Somebody needs to hear that today. To be of good courage 
and be not afraid and be not dismayed before, because our God is with us, Corey. He's with us, Otis. Because that we can face whatever we have to face because we are not alone. 25 years ago, I was just like you. I had been raised in church. I knew the Word of God. God had blessed me. I was a physician. I was practicing internal medicine, geriatric medicine, and now substance abuse medicine in my hometown of Norton, Virginia. And I was diagnosed with cancer. I was diagnosed with a malignancy called mantle cell lymphoma. And at the time of diagnosis, I first noted a knot in my back of my neck. And then I noted some under my arms. And then I found a mass on the CT scan in my pelvis. And at the time of diagnosis, I was already in stage four disease with this mantle cell lymphoma. As a physician, I had never personally encountered this particular illness. But it was a very aggressive, very resistant. And at the time, it was a terminal malignancy. They referred me back to the University of Virginia where I attended medical school, where I was mentored under Charles Hess, a physician, an oncologist there, who was probably one of the premier scientists and physicians when it came to lymphoma. And there he looked at me as I sat on the table. And he said, Tom, we've looked at the slides, we've seen the scans, and the diagnosis is confirmed. This is mantle cell lymphoma. You're already in stage four disease. I could give you chemotherapy, but it's not going to do any good. It may knock it back for a little while. But this tumor will march right through it. We've tried and failed bone marrow transplants. We've tried and failed stem cell harvesting techniques. But he told me, he said, I want you to go home and live. And when I heard those words, I decided I was going to take him up on those words. Now, I know what he meant. He meant go home, get your Harley out riding the sunset and enjoy what time you got left. But I took it as I'm going to go home and live in the power of God. I'm going to find out what the Lord has to say about this situation. On the way home, we called our pastor and told him the problem that we were having. He said, I'll meet you at the church to pray. We drove six hours back to our church. And our first stop was at the altar of our home church on a mountain in the middle of nowhere. And already the saints of God had been called, assembled, and there was a prayer going on when we walked into the building. I walked down to the edge of the altar and knelt down beside the pastor as he was praying and speaking in the tongues. The Lord spoke to him. I think he levitated off the ground at that point. (laughs) He got up speaking in tongues. He came over and said, the Lord said to you, I'm going to take you through. We held on to that word. I didn't know what I'm going to take you through meant. I didn't know what I was going to be facing. But I knew I wasn't going to be facing it alone. Because the Lord was taking, he was taking me through. He had me by the hand with whatever I was going to face. But let me tell you how important it is to pray. It's important that you involve people in the situations that you're facing. 
God has a family and the family loves one another and the family cares for one another and the family wants to see you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And the Lord wants you to incorporate people to pray for you. And people prayed. And people prayed. And people prayed. And they prayed without ceasing. Sometimes they would meet together and just pray all night to intervene for me as the illness progressed. Sometimes people were led to form a community prayer. Now, we live in a small community out in the middle of the sticks. There may be 3,500 people in our town. But one Sunday in October, when it was raining and cold and miserable, over 800 people of all denominations turned out for a community prayer service for me and other people And they held hands in unity around the outside track of the football field, praying. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes me. And prayer will change your church. And prayer will change your community. And prayer will change a county. And prayer will change a nation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... And seek my face, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land, their land, this dust. Prayer. I want to insert something here. Is as the disease progresses, and I'll tell you about that. There was a time when I was laying in bed by myself in multi-organ failure with bed sores developing on my backside. And one of the prayers that I prayed was, Lord, and I was being honest. I said, Lord, you have blessed me so much. You have given me the desires of my heart. You've given me a beautiful wife, a wonderful family, You facilitated me getting into medical school and being a doctor, which I've always wanted to do. And Lord, I'll just be honest with you. I haven't done anything for you. Haven't done anything for you. Yeah, I've gone to church and I've been a part of what God's doing. But Lord, if you don't move in my life, I'm not going to be here long. But I sure would like the opportunity and a little bit of time to work in your kingdom just a little longer, if you would. You saw the heart of your pastor today. His heart is towards missions. His heart is towards reaching people, reaching you, reaching the community, but not just that, reaching the whole world. He can't be in every place at one time, but he has that heart. And if you've got that heart, I'm imploring you today, your time is limited. As long as your heart's beating and your lungs are breathing You have the opportunity to work in the kingdom of heaven. But when this life leaves your body, when that heart beats its last beat, your work is finished. There is no more work to do. 
People tell me all the time, oh boy, when I get to heaven, I'm going to testify. I say, really? Who are you going to testify to? It won't make a difference. Nobody will care. You're in paradise. Well, I'm going to pray. Who are you going to pray for? You're in paradise with the Lord forever. You lose things when you lose this temporal body. When your spirit and soul leaves this flesh, you lose the opportunity to ever work in the kingdom of heaven again. So I would be about the Father's business. Get involved with your church. Get involved with missions. Get involved with what God is doing on the earth today. And I got that revelation on a deathbed. Lord, I sure would like to work in your kingdom a little bit longer. So I implore you to be about the Father's business. You know, as a physician, I just ask questions all day. It's what doctors do. And I'll prove it. When you go see your doctor and he walks into the room, he goes, how are you? How have you been doing? What's bothering you today? Where does it hurt? How long has that been there? What makes it better? Well, what makes it worse? Have you had a fever? Well, have you been taking your medicine? Why not? So that's all we're trained to do is ask questions. We never give any answers. We just ask the question. And then you get up and you walk out. It's just the way it is. So I've been trained to ask questions. So when I come to church, I ask questions. I ask questions of the Lord when I run into problems. Lord, why is this? Why am I sick? Why did you allow this to happen? I look. And I see a little baby. It's just been born. And it's eat up with a leukemia. And I ask the question, why? I look at a pastor who served God faithfully for 50 years. And yet is diagnosed with a colon cancer. And I ask why? Does anybody else ask those questions? Well, to understand what's, where sickness and disease and what the purpose of it is, you have to go back into the Garden of Eden where it all started. And when Adam and Eve failed and were disobedient to the Word of God, God addressed the three guilty parties. And He started with the serpent, that hisser, that snake. In fact, that's what serpent means is hisser. Because whisper, because he whispers into your ear. 
he whispers into your ear. And he said to the serpent, he said, you're cursed above all the cattle. And in Genesis 3, 14, he said, and on your belly you shall go and eat dust the rest of your days. Well, let me ask you another question. What are you made of? Who's nibbling on you? If you want to know where sickness and disease come from, and if you want to get really technical and legal about it, God himself has given the devil permission to nibble on you. Genesis 2 and 7 said, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. What are you? You're made of dirt. You've got the breath of God. And when those two come together, a living soul is formed. That's why I'm not offended anymore when people call me a dirt bag. Because you are too. But this dirt bag has a breath of life in it. And I'm a living soul because of that breath of life. So don't be offended. But you have to understand there's something more going on. The devil's just not wanting to cause you sickness. He's not just wanting to cause your family grief and take money from you and destroy your finances. He's not trying to just destroy your job. To tell you the truth, you're really not that important. But what he's really after is something that you possess that he can't get to directly. And what you possess is something far more valuable. It's the Word of God that's inside of you. And what he wants to do is to reach through you physically to pull that Word of God out of you. And then he's got you spiritually. When you look at it in Luke chapter 8, and verse 5 through 8, Jesus explained the parable of the sower. And you remember, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seed, and the seed was the Word of God. And the seed fell by the wayside, the hard places. And sometimes the seed fell on the rocks. And when it fell on the hard places, the fowl of the air came and stole the seed before it even had time to penetrate into your dirt. And some of it fell on rocks and it started to germinate and grow, but the sun came out and it dried it out and it died. And some of the seed fell on, on thorny places. And as it grew, the tares and the thorns of the world grew up with it and choked it out. So the seed was stolen before it was penetrated into the dirt. It was killed when the trials hit, and it was choked out with the problems that people face. Huh, that sounds a whole lot like John 10.10. The thief cometh not but for to kill and destroy in that order. And what does the thief want to steal, kill, and destroy? 
It wants to steal the Word of God out of you before it can even penetrate into your heart and soul and start to grow. And if you don't believe me, just ask somebody, what did the preacher preach Sunday before you get in your car to go home? A lot of times says, well, it's a good service. Well, what did he have to say? You know, I don't know. The word of God was stolen before you even got off the property. The thief come to steal, kill, and destroy. And sometimes he wants to kill the word of God in you as it's starting to grow. And sometimes the tragedy of the death of a child or the loss of a spouse is so devastating. He wants to get you to just give up on the word of God. He wants to kill it. Before it can come to fruition in your life. And sometimes he wants to allow the cares of this world. The thorns, the thistles. The cares that you go through every day. The COVID, the masks. To make him ish. Amen. The aggravation of not being able to go where you want to. And he wants to choke that word of God out of you. But let me tell you, sometimes that word falls on this earth and it penetrates into the very heart of man and it starts growing and no trial and no tribulation can stop it from growing and no thorn can choke it out and it comes to fruition in our life and it brings forth a harvest for everybody to share. And that's what seed is for. It's good to sow, but it's good to consume and it's good to give away. That's what the devil's really after. He wants to steal the word of God and he can't do it directly. So he comes at you indirectly through cancer, through arthritis, through pericarditis, through nephritis, through tonsillitis, (laughs) through pleuritis, through myositis, through hepatitis, through all those itis boys. Amen. We had a lot of Hittites and Gergesites and Ammonites, but I tell you now we've got the Itis boys. <laughs> but we don't let go of the Word of God. That's what He's trying to steal. That's what He's trying to destroy is the Word of God in you. We, we believe this. We stood on this. We surrounded ourselves with the Word of God. But you know, not one of those tumors melted. In fact, they started growing. And as the year progressed, tumors on my neck started developing. Tumors under my arms developed. My abdomen started swelling. My legs started swelling. And by October of 1997, tumors were everywhere on my body. You can see the adenopathy under my arms. If you look at my neck, all those are tumors of cancer coming out. I had an abdomen that started protruding. The cancer was literally consuming this body. It was consuming my strength. This was before I was bedridden and also started breaking down on my backside. I had blood clots, pulmonary embolism, renal failure, bone marrow failure, respiratory failure. In short, I was dying. Well, what do you do when you're believing God? And things are getting worse, even though you're praying more. What do you do? How do you counteract something like that? How do you stay encouraged 
in the Lord. Well, the Word of God says we enter into His presence with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. So one of the things that I did, I wanted to be in the presence of God because in the presence of God, healing occurs. In the presence of God, deliverance occurs. I needed to be in the presence of God. What are you doing here today to be in the presence of the Lord? The way I'd enter into his presence is with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is for what he has done. Thanksgiving is what you give to God for what he has done. And folks, let me tell you, we can always be thankful no matter what our circumstances are. In the situation that I was in, and if you want to put some random pictures up there, Alex, that's fine. But if you were in the situation that I was in, you may say it's hard to give thanks. But I read in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In the midst of misery, I can give thanks because he has blessed me so much. It's for what he has done. In everything, give thanks. Let me ask you, how many here take medicine? How many here like to take medicine? I don't see any hands. How many here shoo their medicine? And what I mean is, shh. I hate this stuff. There's that metformin. There's that low sartin. And there is that cholesterol pill. Shh. Every day. Well, I tell you, that's not what God wants. Because God created this medicine. Because I read in the Word that all things were created both for Him and by Him, and there was nothing that was ever made that wasn't made by Him. So if He made this, He must have put a little bit of healing in there. And maybe if I ask Him, He can take the healing that's in there and put in here. So now when you pour your medicine out into your hand, I want you to hold it up in front of the Lord and say, Lord, I want to thank you for the blessing of this medicine because I know in here you have made it and you put a degree of healing in here. And Lord, would you mind taking the healing that's in there and put in here? And while you're at it, could you anoint it and make it better than it's ever been? And would you mind leaving all the side effects off to bring me all the benefits? Praise your name and thank you, Lord. You just learn how to take your medicine. (laughs) Hallelujah. We enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And it's regardless of the circumstances that we're in. He still is deserving of thanksgiving for all he's done for us. I would lay in the bed and I'd rub my hands across the sheets. And I'd say, Lord, you've blessed me today. I'm laying in a bed that's comfortable and half the world doesn't even have a bed to lay in. Yeah. 
Lord, look at this oxygen you provided me with to, to breathe. Thank you, Lord, for this breath of life. And Lord, my ears hear not the bleeding of sheep, but I hear the sounds of praise and worship in the other room. You've given me people to speak into my life and to help me. I am so blessed, and I thank you for that, Lord. An attitude of thankfulness is what the Lord wants. When you look in the Garden of Eden, did Adam and Eve ever thank him for paradise? Maybe that's why they lost it. They weren't grateful for what God had given them. We enter into his courts with thanksgiving. We enter his gates into thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Praise is what you give to God for who he is and what he does. He's God Almighty. There's none like him. There's none beside him. He's the creator of everything that's created. He is worthy of praise. He's the healer. He's the deliverer. He's the one that uses supernatural power to do things beyond what we can even think or ask. He's God Almighty, and He's worthy of all of our praise. And I will praise and bless His name because simply He's worthy. If He does nothing else on my behalf, He is still worthy of praise. Cancer can't hold me down. Renal failure can't hold me down. Arthritis can't hold me down. Why? He is worthy of praise and glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Because praise does some things. Praise changes the atmosphere. If you don't believe me, look at Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 and 25. You remember Paul and Silas? A couple of good old boys. Going about doing the Lord's business. The damsel comes up and makes fun of them. Possessed with a demon. Ridicules them. Finally, Paul turns around and says, enough is enough. Come out of there. She's delivered. She's set free. Her employers are devastated. They lost their meal ticket. She can no longer tell fortunes. Irate, they take Paul and Silas before the council. They have a mock trial. They sentence him. They whip them and stripe them. They throw them in jail inside of an inner prison with locks on them. I believe the devil finally said, I've got these boys out of my hair. I've got them locked up, tucked away, in chains, beaten down. I'll never hear from them again. (laughs) And then suddenly at the midnight hour, Suddenly, there was a praise that came out of the prison. And suddenly, at the midnight hour, Paul and Silas lifted up their praises, not because of their circumstances, but because of who he is. He is God and worthy of praise. And as they lifted their voice in praise to worship the one and true God, suddenly, the thing that had them bound, thing that had them tucked away, that had them locked up, couldn't hold them anymore. The locks came undone. The bars broke open and they were made free. How did that happen? They praised and God delivered and made them free. 
Not only were they set free, praise set everybody free. Wouldn't that be wonderful? As Otis was in the COVID unit, wouldn't that be wonderful? The saint of God in the midst of misery as COVID was consuming their body with what little breath they had left to breathe. They lifted up their hands and said, God, you're worthy of praise. I want to worship you. I want to worship you. You're holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Can you imagine what would happen? I believe it would set them free. COVID couldn't hold them. Heart disease couldn't hold them. Renal failure couldn't hold them. None of those problems could hold them down. And not only would it set them free, it would set the nurses trying to take care of them free. It would set the doctors free. It would set the ones next to them free. Why? Because of the power of praise. So what do you do when things get worse? Thank him for all he's done for you. Praise him for his mighty works. And then you have to also deal with with fear. You see, fear is not of God. In fact, 2 Timothy 1 and 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, And a sound mind. If God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, where do you think it come from? I want you to think about some things. Has God ever been afraid? Well, let me just step out a little bit on this thin ice. Now, God knows everything. Am I right? Has God ever experienced fear? God has never experienced fear. He knows all about it, but He's never experienced it. He's never been afraid of anything He created. He wasn't afraid when the devil rose up against Him. He wasn't afraid of any situation or any problem. And Jesus is the same way. Jesus wasn't afraid at him as a man came running naked at him with 2,000 demons and fell at his feet. The disciples were backing up into the boat. Jesus stood his ground. He wasn't afraid. Jesus wasn't afraid of any sickness or disease. He walked among the lepers and laid his hands on them. He wasn't afraid of any sin. He wasn't afraid of prostitutes. He wasn't afraid of tax collectors. He wasn't afraid of any army. He wasn't afraid... Of even the priests. Because Jesus didn't have a spirit of fear about him. He wasn't afraid. And God doesn't want his children to be afraid. He's not given us the spirit of fear. But of power and of love and a sound mind. So we don't have to be afraid of cancer. You know, God has to deal with fear all the time in man. Fear came in the garden. It all started in the garden. God came down in the cool of the day. And the first thing he said, Adam, where are you? (laughs) I'm over here hiding because I'm afraid. (laughs) So where do you think fear came from? That's the first origin of it. 
The first act of man was fear. And God's been dealing with it ever since, threaded throughout the whole Bible. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I'll help thee. I'll strengthen thee. I'll uphold thee with the right hand of my righteous. Isaiah 41 and 10. God does not want us to be afraid. He didn't want Joshua to be afraid. I'm going to take care of that river. I'm going to take care of Jericho. I'm going to take care of the mud. He didn't want Mary to be afraid. Zacharias standing at the altar of incense. Spent his whole life for that one moment to offer incense at the golden altar in the holy place. And all of a sudden an angel stood there on top of the altar. Can you imagine And the first thing that Gabriel said to him was, fear not. (laughs) He had to address that fear. Think about it. If you were a shepherd in the field that night, overlooking the flocks there at Bethlehem, and an angel suddenly appeared in the sky, what did the angel say to announce the birth of our Messiah, of Jesus Christ? You think God's trying to tell us something? That we don't have to be afraid. Why? Because He is with us. Now fear does some things. If you look at David and Goliath. David went down to check on his brothers. And the armies of the living God was stopped. And David, why was the army stopped? Why didn't a bunch of those guys get some toothpicks down there and just pick that guy apart? This was the army of the living God. But they were afraid. Fear will stop the armies of God from moving. Let's get back on that thin ice over here. Maybe fear. Fear will stop God from moving in your life until you deal with it. David came along and said, who is that uncircumcised Philistine? I'm not afraid of him because the Lord's on my side. This is the Lord's battle. Somebody needs to get this and make your problem the Lord's battle. Amen? Fear. Fear in God. Delivered them from that fear. You know, fear and faith are on the same seesaw. How do you, how do you get rid of fear? With faith. Where does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by... So the Word of God will build up faith. And in my life, when I was so sick, one of my healing verses that I used all the time was the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Say it with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. 
and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You deal with fear with faith, and faith cometh by the word of God. You keep your spirit up. You keep your spirit up. Lastly, we are a three-part person. We have a body, and we have a spirit. And caught right in the middle is our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's what we are. And if sickness and disease can bring us down mentally, emotionally, and take the will, the desire to press on, It'll also pull us down spiritually. But the converse is true. If we allow the presence of God to reach into our spirit, if this same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it will quicken your mortal body. This same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will quicken your mind, make it alive. It will quicken your spirit. It will quicken your emotions. It will give you the strength to press on. And it will also lift up this body that's failing. If the body can pull it down, the spirit can pull it back up. Just like Jesus, that spirit walking on the water, reached down and grabbed Peter who was dying and drowning. And together they did the impossible. They walked on the very thing that was trying to tear them down. Somebody needs to walk on the things that's trying to tear you down. Here it is in December of 1997. We believed all this. The church prayed for 40 days. They took a weekend off and came back for another 40 days. We had the the community prayer. We had people believe in God and everything was getting worse. And God spoke to me and said, now I want you to go in the hospital, doctor. I said, I don't want to go. Has anybody ever talked to God that way? He said, I want you to go. I said, why do you want me to go? There's those questions again. He didn't answer me. He said, I want you to go. Now I understand why I wanted, why he wanted me to go. I said, Lord, I really don't want to go because there are a lot of people dying in the hospital. I'm already sick enough. What, what if I catch something? I'm thinking like a doctor, okay? The Lord said, I want you to trust me. I said, Okay. I went in the hospital. They did the CT scans. I had a size 60 waist. I thought it was all from a fluid in my abdomen. There wasn't any fluid there. It was all tumors. Cancers as big as footballs, big as baseballs, pushing my intestines out of the way. You couldn't see my inferior vena cava. The pancreas was totally obscured. It was all tumor, just a mass of tumor. My lungs were full of fluid, full of fluid and tumors. I had tumors literally on a blood count. They picked up the tumor floating in the blood on a CBC. I was dying. In multi-organ failure, the doctor said, there's not a lot we can do. 
we can may give him something to temporize him. I said, Lord, I don't want to take anything. You, you said it wouldn't work. I don't want to take anything. I said, you're so great, Lord. You can heal me right here, right now. The Lord said, trust me. Okay? Doctor came in and said, we'll try some of this stuff. We'll give him some second-line agents. Maybe it'll temporize it. Maybe the Lord was trying to get me over some fear. And sometimes you have to trust the Lord no matter what. I said, Lord, you brought me here. I don't know what I'm doing here, but here I am. Do what you have to do. They gave me some second-line agents. Wasn't even supposed to do anything but maybe temporize things, slow it down. But God took that like the rock that David threw. And before the infusion even started, the tumor softened up. That was hard as apples. It softened up like Nerf balls. And it started shrinking and disappeared in front of your eyes. Now I understand why God did it. He wanted to demonstrate his power in front of the entire medical community of what he can do in one doctor with a people that believe in him. That day, that day the Lord healed me. And I believe that day that he healed me, he saw this day, that day. And he saw your need way back then. And he wanted these words to encourage you in your spirit to hold on to the things of God. We prayed for an entire year expecting Every day, a miracle to occur. And you know what? You never know the day God's going to move. That old song, he may not come when you want him, but he'll always be on time because he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. That day, God healed me. And not only healed me, he restored me and redeemed me and restored everything that was taken. The cancer had taken my family, my income, my practice, my health, and God has brought back every aspect of that. He truly did a Psalms 103. Let's stand here today. In Psalms 103, 